Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. Welcome, everyone. I am your damn guide, Arnie. Now, I'm about to take you through a fully functional power plant. So please, no one wander off the damn tour. And please take all the damn pictures you want. Now, are there any damn questions? Yeah, we're going to get some damn bait. Michael Preston. kind of all felt like a dam. You see what I'm doing there with the, the beaver and a dam, and I still don't understand why they do the, the chainsaw thing on third down at Reezer. I, I, I don't get that, but nobody's yet, nobody's explained it to me. Chainsaw's natural enemy of the beaver. If you want the beaver to play well, you don't play a chainsaw on third down. Yeah. Uh, I am Michael Preston. Back again. Our equipment is working here uh, on the Google Center. Not a great week to have it working back again, but it is working. We'll talk about that game uh, last Saturday. I want to touch on basketball as well a little bit. And then again, yeah, we're going to talk about realignment a little bit. We'll kind of combo that segment. Since it's a bye week, we don't have a guest. We'll end with our Dunderhead of the Week and ask Michael anything. <clears throat> I, I, I guess what surprised me most was just how flat and kind of uninspired everybody looked in that game. And it, it, was, just, it was the proverbial turd in a punch bowl on that day because I did frankly watch the Mariners game prior to flipping over to the Coop game, all 18 innings of it. Uh, which cut almost all the way to halftime of the Wazoo game. Um, but it does not appear that I missed uh, very much. And having looked at the stat sheet a bit, I'm not going to force myself to go watch that first half again. Um, but having watched that entire second half, it just it just looked like an entire team full of guys. And and, and I don't want to say like like disinterested, but kind of going through the motions a bit. It was very clear that Jonathan Smith got his team ready to play a team that had beaten them eight times in a row. And, it, it you know, for Oregon State, it's not just like Oregon beating you eight times in a row or UW or SC, whatever. This is Washington State. This is supposed to be like a peer institution, uh, you know, football quality wise. And they'd beaten the brakes off you. A few times in that span. Some narrower defeats in there. Obviously 2019 comes first to mind. But they had a few on a few occasions. Just really taken you out behind the woodshed. And done some work. Like it was very clear. Jonathan Smith saw an opportunity. To go out there. And really drive home the points. That they were the better team. I don't think they were you know like that much better. But it was very clear who was more motivated to come out. And win that football game. And I think I said this. After the game. It was just. It kind of felt like nobody had a good game. Nobody. And we'll highlight the one part that didn't. And I, I it feels like piling on, but it, we're going to have to talk about it here in a minute. Um, it just kind of felt like nobody had a good game. Coaches didn't have a good game. Players didn't have a good game. Support staff, I don't know. Nobody really had a great game. And I don't know if it's an issue. Of, it certainly is not looking ahead because they have the weekend off. And Utah isn't until a week from Thursday. 
It can't be that. Is it a letdown from, you know, I, I don't think there was ever any question about a lack of effort against SC. And it was just, you know, you look at that score of 30-14 in that game and you go, that's not reflective of how close that game actually was. And I don't think 24-10 is actually as reflective as, you know, the closest of this game. And that I think it was, it should have been wider. It, it, it should have been a lot wider. And a Washington State defense were accustomed to, you know, again, they still only gave up 24 points to Oregon State, but it's Oregon State's backup quarterback. And they weren't flying around with their usual aplomb. They weren't making plays as they usually do. They weren't generating turnovers like they usually do. Um, so, you know, just one interception from Sam Lockett, a couple of forced fumbles, neither of which recovered. So that's, you know, again, we've talked about in the past of you need to have a defense that can take the ball away, especially at Wazoo, because if you're not going to get the best athletes on the planet, they need to be able to do something like that. And that's take the ball away. Um, I, I saw a lot of criticism of Cam Ward. I think that's a little unwarranted, and I'm going to go over why here. Um, he did, obviously did not have a great game. 25 for 54 for 345, a touchdown and a pick. Um, and he, he ran the ball a couple of times effectively. What, what's finally coming home to roost, and I think there's been a Band-Aid put on this all year by by virtue of Eric Morris's play calling of a lot of very quick passes, tunnel screens, um, a lot of plays that develop quickly that don't require time to develop is that coming into the game, Oregon state had six sacks on the year and in the game against Washington state, they had six sacks. So they literally matched their season total in one game. These guys are not world beaters up front when it comes to getting to the quarterback. And what's kind of finally coming home here is that we knew coming into the season that the offensive line was going to be a problem. And boy, is it rearing its head right now because I, I can't even count how many times in that second half from the moment Cam Ward got his hands on the football, he was under pressure. And I don't care how good of a quarterback you are. If you are getting a guy in your face almost immediately, like, like you, you barely have time to make your first read. And I know that was a criticism of Ward early in the season that he's only making one read and going. He's gotten better at that as the year's gone on. But if all you have time to do is make one read and then all of a sudden there's an opponent right there ready to sack you, I, I don't need to tell you what a massive problem that is. And I, I think Clay McGuire's job up front is much larger than we expected. This is a problem that will take probably multiple years to fix. And if they are able to hit the transfer portal hard at that position, they'll be lucky to do so because there's plenty of teams everywhere that need really good offensive linemen. But this is a problem that in the offseason has got to be priority number one for this coaching staff. Because I know Jeff and Craig have talked about it, and it's something we talk about on the website all the time. 
this position, this position of offensive line, it's almost the position where you can see the most precipitous drop from very good to extremely bad. Like, it, it, it's the fastest. Mike Leach's last few recruiting classes for offensive line were not his, like, greatest in the world. They certainly were not his, you know, they, they were they were not, like, world beaters like he, like he did take a bunch of times. And you, and you just knew you had guys like Andre Dillard, Cody O'Connell. You did have Abe Lucas last year. Um, you know, all these names that you remember of being just, like, linemen that, you know, not only were monstrous, but were very good at what they did and good at protecting Connor Halliday and Luke Falk and uh, Anthony Gordon and Gardner Minshew. You had that and Jaden Delora last year. But it's a lack of focus in recruiting in that area by the previous coaching staff under Nick Rolovich. And this is Jake Dickert's kind of first full recruiting class you have coming in. And I would kind of say that this needs to really be the focus from here on out. Or, you know, for at least a couple of years. Because right now, um, it, it things are very, very bad up front. And we need to see some improvement and some improvement extremely quickly from the offensive line. Otherwise, things are just not going to go exceptionally well up front. Okay. Now you have signed in this class so far two offensive tackles, uh, three offensive tackles, I take it back. Um, including one from Auburn Riverside, Nathan Pritchard. Not signed, excuse me, uh, verbally committed. I shouldn't say signed. So you're getting these three-star guys, and I think it's still a, also an issue of you at least have recruiters at this point who like recruit to the FBS level, unlike what you had under Nick Rolovich, and it kind of looked like you know the old wolf days of, oh my God, what's going on here? Um, but we knew it was going to be a problem. Um, I just didn't think maybe this big of a problem. But it's pretty clear that in this week off, um, they got to figure something out fast up front. Um, Utah is not going to relent. And I think when you get to that two-thirds mark of the season, you're going to be 4-4, four and four, which I had suspected. I had suspected this is where they were going to be. This is not how I expected they would get there. But you're going to have three losses in a row going into a final four games of the season where frankly every single one is very winnable and you should probably be favored in at least two, if not three of the games. So take solace in that, that the schedule was front loaded with the hard games. It is back loaded with the relatively easy games and I'm not Stanford beat Notre Dame, but I, okay, whatever. And ASU beat UW, but that's in Tempe where no Washington team can ever win. I, we've harped on that enough, and I, I think the final point I'll make on this is it, is it just surprised me from the standpoint of Jake Dickert. If there's one thing we've known about Jake Dickert's teams, Jake Dickert's teams, his one team, but all the games Jake Dickert has been the head coach for, it is that his team is very, very prepared for that game. They are focused they're mistake-free, generally speaking. And if if you're going to beat a Jake Tickard team, it's just because you're the better football team. 
That didn't seem like the case on Saturday. And that's not meant to be a, wow, this is indicative of how it's going forward. This is Jake Dickert's first full season go-around with this job. And I have made my, not misgivings with the hire, but kind of, I thought it was, you know, again, a very blah hire. But so far, Jake Dickert has proven, at least, that he deserved the chance to do this. And if it becomes a trend, I think that's when you worry about it. But this was one aberration after a pretty big letdown against USC where if you show those stats to somebody who didn't watch the game and they tell you what the final score is, they might say, oh, you know, either one of these teams won by like three points when SC won by 16. And you have a team that lost a little focus in that game and then just last Saturday just, again, just looked like they were going through the motions. And thought that they could maybe, I don't know, maybe, you know, thought you could just out-athlete Oregon State. But Oregon State finally has some good recruiting coming home to roost. Again, first time it's happened. If it becomes a trend, not great. But I don't expect it to be a trend under Jake Dickert. He seems to always have this team very focused, very ready to go. And ready to do what it takes. And, you know, again, you talk about that discipline tackling. It's been something that's been so lovely to see under Jake Dickert and Brian Ward. What can you do differently with this team? I'm not expecting them to beat Utah. But can they come out focused again? Can they come out hungry again? Can they come out and execute at a high level again? Because I didn't recognize that team in Corvallis. Again, down in LA, at least they were busting their butts all the way to the final whistle. But the drops from the receivers, the missed tackles, the mental mistakes, the the lack of gap assignment, the poor offensive line play, whatever else, it 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 I I didn't that didn't look like the football team I've been watching for two months. That looked nothing like what we've come to expect from this football team, and I think maybe that's the most disappointing thing. And again, when you're playing Oregon State. Like, that's, that's kind of like the one team Washington State, like, can depend on to be better than on a yearly basis. And they really did not look the part at all. And again, I it's because it, it, it's so weird in games. Like, what do you even say about that? And I mean, I've rambled on about it for almost 15 minutes now, incoherently at some points as usual. Thank you for listening. But it's so hard to, like, diagnose, like, what... I mean, we know what went wrong, but why? Oregon State is a good team. They are not a world beater compared to Wazoo. They needed a last second miracle to beat Stanford. So in theory, it's a, you know, it's a like institution, a like football team. So why did Wazoo just look so bloody flat? So uninterested in winning that football game. I wish I had a better answer, but I, right now, and probably forever, because it's a, you know, it's a game in the middle of the season, I won't. But forget it and get ready for Utah. Uh, Utah team that's going to be riding high, and thank God you get them uh, more than a week after that win 
uh, against SC. And thank you for doing that. Even though Utah fans annoy me to no end at times. Uh, thank you for that. For making SC fans complain about the referees. It's a real treat. I love it. Let's talk a little bit about Cougar basketball. And then yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to touch on conference realignment a bit. When we come back on the Cook Center Hour. We're back on the Coog Center Hour. Uh, our own Bryce Hendricks had a great piece uh, this week. You should go read, um, if you haven't already, uh, outlining TJ Bamba's role on the basketball team uh, this season. Looked to be the best perimeter defender we have. He's going to be asked to do a lot more with Deshaun Jackson out for um, an unknown period with uh, whatever, some malady or an injury, something he's dealing with. Of teams obviously not being clear. We don't need to know what it is. Um, obviously, none of our business um, there particularly. And uh, Miles Rice... Um, being out for a while with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and we hope he um, gets over that quickly and is able to be back on the basketball court where we'd all love to see him as soon as possible. Um, without those two, I think that, you know, obviously, you know, we, we always want to be concerned about the person, but we always got to talk about the team, right? And the team here, having Deshaun Jackson out, not great. Losing Miles Rice, also not great for your rotation um, in the backcourt. But I loved Bryce's piece on TJ Bomb. I mean, arguably, and I think he's right, being the most important player under this basketball team this year because so much of it's still so unsettled, other than Muhammad Gay, who uh, you saw jumping over over uh, a teammate in practice. That video got quote unquote leaked. I'm using quote fingers uh, over a six nine forward. Hamon Crespin. I have no idea how to say male's name, and I I so apologize. Um, for not saying his name correctly, but um, when you like literally vault over a six foot nine guy, um, you might be pretty athletic. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, but Ken Palm's uh, rankings came out this week, and he has Washington State uh, at number seventy four uh, to begin the season. Now Kyle Smith's teams always, always, always take a big leap um, during the season. They always outperform. Uh, their Kempom ranking before the season begins. So it's, inter- you know, or, or outperform their preseason Kempom ranking. Look at me actually, like, spit it out and say the correct thing there. Um, 71, excuse me, was his preseason ranking uh, for the team. They improved uh, by 19 last year. Um, so doing the same this year would keep them out of the tournament. Um but I feel like this is kind of the season where even with all the transfers, including Noah Williams to Washington, um, where hopefully things kind of come together. And we'll talk more about this as games get closer. Their opener, um, I'm recording this on October 18th, and it's actually closer than you think. It's on November 7th, so it's two weeks, a little about two and a half weeks away. So uh, against Texas State at Beasley Coliseum, and they don't play another home game um, until the Friday after Thanksgiving against Detroit Mercy. They actually play a, a quote-unquote neutral side against Boise State. It's still in Boise. Um, and then they go to Prairie View A&M as part of that uh, that project with the Pac-12 to go play um, at HBCU institutions, which I think is pretty cool. And then Eastern, for what I guess is a neutral site game in Spokane, I have no idea what's going on with that. Like, we're not selling tickets, but Eastern is, and it's on Pac-12 Network. I have no idea. Um, so we'll get more into it as kind of things develop um throughout that season but I think it's interesting you know like I basketball season always kind of sneaks up on me and I'll we'll be in Las Vegas um with some friends uh for the game against UNLV um on December 10th Cougs in Vegas didn't need to give me any excuse um to go (laughs) on to Vegas but there was one quite convenient for me um so 
I'm interested to see what TJ Bamba does. I'm interested to see that guard rotation. Who who is there? I think I'm most interested actually to see, and this is maybe it's just me because I have a soft spot for guards who can jack it and they're from, you know, jack it up from distance and are um, you know, guys from the state of Washington. But how much does Dylan Darling play? The freshman from Central Valley. He scored buckets of points um in a lot of his games last year. So I'd be interested to see um, how involved he gets. Andre Yakimovsky as well. I'd love to see him make um a big leap forward this year. Uh, as well on the court. So looking forward to the season. We'll get more into it as we get a little closer. But I at least wanted to bring it up here because, um, you know, it's a bye week. And it's important to talk about stuff that's literally it's only two weeks away. How exciting is that? Um, we're going to dovetail uh, without any transition whatsoever um, into talking more about realignment. <clears throat> and, yeah, I know it's been ad nauseum and especially on this show. But it's probably an important thing to talk about um, given how, you know, mission critical um, this is for Washington State. And it was interesting to see Big Ten President Kevin Warren um, say last week that, oh yeah, we're basically, you know, I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but our urgency with expanding is not necessarily there anymore. And then for Brett Yormark, the commissioner of the Big 12, to go back and say, well, when I said relevant for business, I didn't really mean... Like expanding, what I really meant was like TV partners and other dynamic stuff. When really the tone of that is, I know what you meant, Brett. Um, I think what this probably means, and I think we all know that in terms of the direction of the dominoes falling on this, it's that if the Big Ten decides they want some teams and those teams decide to leave, then the Big 12 can come in and take teams we've talked you know we talked to Matt Brown about this who was so kind to give us a lot of his time um over a month ago but that in terms of the big 12 there's really no reason for Oregon Washington um any of the four corners to leave when very probably the dollar amount is roughly the same and you'd still probably for other ancillary reasons not related to athletics be associated with the Pac-12 as opposed to the big 12 there are still cachet in terms of hiring professors and other things that come along with being in a conference with Stanford and Cal and Oregon and Utah and CU and UW. Um, there's a lot that comes with that. So it's important to be with those institutions, you know, AAU, R1 schools. Um, I think when Kevin Warren says, you know, we're, you know, not necessarily that we're putting it on the back burner, but it's not as urgent um, as it may have been at first, what that probably indicates to me is that Notre Dame uh, gave him the bird and told him to go. Told him to go away. What's been reported is that you know there's there's a very specific escalator clause for Notre Dame in that TV contract, and although there are, you know in any contract there are clauses that say, hey, uh, if we add teams, we'll take a look at it, you know, giving you more money, but we're not going to guarantee you anything. There were guarantees for Notre Dame. There's not necessarily guarantees for Oregon. And so if you get, you know, a consultant's numbers back and Rutgers and Maryland and Illinois and Indiana are looking at, oh, if we bring in Oregon and Washington, we're actually going to lose pieces of the pie because it's, you know, it's $7 billion, which is a massive number, but it's not like it just gets, you know, like, yeah, that number goes up, but does it go up by enough to split it so that we all get more or are we losing money in that split? If you're losing money, there's not really a reason for them to extend an invitation to anybody, right? Even if Washington and Oregon are maybe willing to take less at first, but even then, I doubt that. And especially with 
the likelihood that each Power Five is going to have an auto bid to the CFP. And if the other Pac-12, remaining Pac-12 institutions are willing to do an uneven rev split for anybody that qualifies for the CFP or the NCAA tournament, um, that again incentivizes you to stay. I think that, you know, again, this is all a lot of conjecture, but that's what you have to live in with this kind of stuff. I think that's probably what happened, that at least right now it doesn't make a lot of sense for the Big Ten to do this. So what does the Pac-12 do? Where does that leave them? They have exited that exclusive negotiating window with ESPN and Fox. At first, we knew that ESPN was involved and they were a long way apart. Then we found out also Fox was involved and they were a long way apart. So that was... Cool, I didn't know that Fox was also still interested. Kind of was made to seem like they weren't. So now the Pac-12 takes everything to the open market. So what does that mean? Well, it means very, very likely they are shopping this to Amazon and to Apple. Those seem like the most likely partners. Amazon already has football Every Thursday night in the fall, they're going to have a Friday night Black Fr- or Friday afternoon Black Friday NFL game. Apple has all the MLS games on Apple TV Plus starting next season. So they are in the live sports game. And I had written, you know, over two years ago that this could be the direction the Pac-12 is going. And I don't think it's necessarily that you're going to give your tier one rights to Amazon or to Apple. Tier 1 meaning like your cream of the crop stuff. You're not going to give, you know, Amazon a top 25 matchup between Oregon and Washington or Oregon and UCLA, even though UCLA won't be here anymore. You're not going to do that. But at the very least, they're a partner who there's risk involved for everybody. Right? There's risk involved for Amazon because it may not pay off, but they've got so much cash, it almost doesn't matter. And there's risk involved from the Pac-12 because if you don't get the exposure that you need from those games being on Amazon or, or you know Prime Video or Apple TV+, then that's bad for your member institutions. But if Amazon and Apple can make up for it by ponying up some dough, it doesn't really matter too terribly much. And I would still expect you're going to see a grant of rights and a media rights deal that expires before the Big Tens does. So in, I think it's 2029, you'll probably, you know, it's 2030, so you'll probably see the Pac-12s expire at least in 28 or 29, right? You're not going to see them take it beyond then, but it at least buys you a little bit of time to figure things out. Do you expand with San Diego State? Is there another Mountain West institution you'd consider? Is there something, and I've talked about this before, is there a Big 12 institution you could convince Amazon or Apple to pay the exit fee for? Are there multiple Big 12 institutions you could convince them to pay the exit fee for? Because again, it's it's like 40 million bucks a year, you know, or like to the end of the day, I don't remember exactly what it is, but basically Texas and Oklahoma are paying $80 million to get out of the Big 12. So, can Amazon make that kind of payment? If you can show that over the life cycle of the deal, they'll make the money back? Might be willing to. They might listen to that. So, I basically spent, you know, six minutes telling you that what it seems like has happened now, and that we kind of preached over the summer as well, that this was going to take a while. Don't believe, like, imminent Twitter crap. Like, it's going to take a while for the dust to settle on all of this. 
and always also be careful when you're reading something about who you think might be giving that reporter information. Who, and that's not to say like the reporter's being biased or whatever, it's just who is giving them that info? Who does it sound like this benefits the most as being in the public sphere? Right? Consider that too. Because for right now, it really does seem like the only conference doing any negotiating is Pac-12. The Big 12 can say, oh, we're already talking to ESPN and Fox, but that's all they're doing. They're just talking to them. You can get an idea, but you can't negotiate for another year. The Pac-12 is negotiating right now with ESPN, with Fox, now probably with Amazon, with Apple. And it will take until probably at least the end of the year to figure out what's going on. So for now, things have probably calmed down a little bit. He says, thusly inviting probably some big news by the end of the week. <laughs> Let's play the fight song. Let's do the Dunderhead of the Week and ask Michael anything when we come back on the Center Hour. Thunder head of the week. I'm just going to... Sports are wonderful because it gives us so many moments of triumph. Cal Raleigh's home run to, you know, clinch the Mariners going to the playoffs. Wonderful moment I'll never forget. Lots of other really cool stuff that I've gotten to experience in my life. Excitement, all that other good jazz. This might just be recency bias, but also because I just try to flush the bad days out. But Saturday might have been the world's the worst sports day I've ever had. It took the Mariners two whole games to lose one nothing to the Houston Astros to be eliminated from the playoffs. The Cougs looked terrible against OSU, and the Kraken got their butts handed to them by uh, Vegas in their home opener. And then when I went to go check that score on the ESPN app, I got reminded that the Sounders haven't didn't make the playoffs this year for the first time in like over a decade. <laughs> what a horrifying, comically terrible sports day. Like, you know, the reason we love sports is because it can go so, so, so very right. And then when it goes wrong like this, you try to forget about it and move on for the good stuff. Right? Like, that's what you want to remember. God, what an awful sports day. Saturday, my dunderhead literally of the week. Goodness me. Ask Michael anything time. Just, I mean, a God, what an awful day sports-wise. Just. I couldn't even enjoy trying to find the Nevada-Hawaii game on, like, some illegal stream late at night. Because apparently Spectrum in Hawaii has finally clamped down on that, which is a real shame. Ask 
Michael, anything time. At WSU Coaster, Cody Jewell, if WSU had an unlimited athletics budget, what's at the top of your list for a pie-in-the-sky purchase? Hmm. Man, I think at the very least, probably suites and club seats on the north side of Martin. And then suites where the, uh, where, like, the band is now. Like, that, that is a very good use of that space. Uh, and then, yeah. I, I, I want to see what they come back with for that Beasley remodel redo. But that would be up there. Um, I do like the suggestion. Adding a softball team. That'd be fun. Um, I don't think I have that much of an interest in softball. but And I and I think WSU would probably struggle to really compete in the Pac-12-10 or whatever it will be. I mean, they're going to have a hard time competing in that conference. So... Um, that might not be the best sport. To, I really, it's so funny. Like I don't like. I, there's no sport I really want. to Men's soccer, maybe. That might be. That might be a good one. Uh, at WC Brady 27 Brady, what are the most over and underrated holidays? I think underrated holidays. New Year's Day. Nobody really thinks about the fact that we get that day off after New Year's Eve. Like nobody really thinks about how that's a national holiday. Literally a national holiday. Uh, most overrated Halloween. I just I don't I don't like it I don't like costuming like the candy's great but I, that require that makes me eat too much candy that's not good I don't like doing that uh at Don Vito 137 John Conklin what do you view the loss to OSU as Wolfian or Leechian it was definitely Leechian that was not a Wolfian loss no 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 that was not that was not a Paul Wolf style loss that that was a Mike Leach style loss because there's at least a lot of talent on this team, and you know, like ostensibly the coaches prepared them. This was not a not a Paul Wolf style loss. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the Utah Utes on a short week. We hope you enjoyed this bi-week edition of the Coop Center Hour.